hold fast hope. It's like a command. Right? It's not sort of much a declaration. It's like a, it's like a command. Do that. Hold fast hope. Hoping or having joy or having peace is a funny thing to be commanded because these things are like spontaneous in nature, right? In our, in our world, this is, uh, if I'm really going to have some hope, I, it's tough to like be commanded to have hope. In fact, you usually want to slap anybody who's like, yeah, you just need to have hope. Jesus says you should have hope. You should do it, do it, have hope. And so hopefully he began, uh, for those of you who are here, uh, he set, <clears throat> set the stage for us talking about what Christian hope looks like versus um, the way we often think about hope. There's a kind of hope that has confident expectation. We say that with me, confident expectation. Confident expectation, a confident expectation of what will be. There's that kind of hope. And then there's the sort of hope that is just wishful thinking. And Christian hope is the confident expectation of what will be, which feels so funny because it doesn't, it's, it's kind of tough to really pinpoint because it, it, it's not the way in any way we talk about hope. So I, I want to talk about this uh, verse, and for the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about what is the fruit of this Christian hope. So I want to do a quick reminder again of what Christian hope is, just take us back into that for a second. And then describe over the next couple of weeks, what does, uh, what is the fruit of this sort of hope? What is the fruit of this sort of hope? So Christian hope is a prisoner. Cornell West says, I am not optimistic or pessimistic. I am a prisoner of hope. He's trying to say he's captive by something that is not um, informed by the data. He's captive to something that's not informed by how the day is going, by who's in the office in the White House. I have a kind of hope that it supersedes the reality of my circumstances. I'm a prisoner. I'm a prisoner to this idea of hope. The confident expectation that you could say it like this, the confident expectation that God's got this. A confident expectation that there are good things to come, not wishful thinking. So I want to begin um, in Colossians 1.23, and then our verse that we're going to center on is in Romans 12.12. 12. But Colossians 1.23, the writer Paul says, "If in, you guys doing okay? I know we just jump right into this, but I want to get going. We good? Give me something. Yeah, okay. I love it. Love you. Love this. If indeed you continue in the faith, Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. So apparently you can be stable and steadfast and not shifting your mindset, not shifting where you're at from the hope of the gospel. Let's do a quick reminder. Here's how we describe the gospel. The gospel is the good news, ultimately, that Jesus has come. Jesus is the Messiah. It's part of this bigger story that we as followers of Jesus believe that we're a part of. The true story of the whole world. And that Jesus, the Messiah, has come to set all things new and right. The gospel, before it's anything else, is the good news that Jesus is Lord. 
This is how we describe the gospel, the good news that God the creator has come to rescue us from sin and renew all things in and through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf to establish his kingdom through his people in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to get through unpacking that whole statement, but we mention all of that because that kind of sums up all that's going on, all of the implications of the idea that Jesus is king. It's that Jesus is making all things new, right? Our, our mantra in this church, if a church can have a mantra, is, is joining God in the renewal of all things. God, we're told in Jesus, through Jesus, is putting everything back together, and we get to join him in that work. God has so loved us and isn't going anywhere. God is renewing all things beginning with us. God will put this all back together in spite of us. And that we will live forever with him. There's a bunch of people, just to be clear, especially folks who may be new. There are a bunch of folks running around this church, good handful, I think more than that probably, who actually believe um, this, who have this sort of mindset. They have this mindset that like, I don't need to be hopeless anymore because I know that God is up to something. Because I have a confident expectation that whatever is happening in the world right now or in my world right now, things will be made new. There's this leadership principle I just learned about a month back. And it's basically, uh, the way you describe it is this. It's, it's called here is horrible. Here is horrible. I don't think I have my whiteboard here. It's okay. Here is horrible. Here's the idea. As a leader, any of you lead anything. This is just a good principle. A little leadership corner with Pastor Andrew. Over here is, is here, like where you currently are, your organization, your team, yourself. Uh, any leader is trying to move people from here to where? There. You following me so far? Deep concept. Uh, any leader is trying to lead people from current reality to there. The way that most folks talk about here to there and getting people, getting an organization, a team to move into a new way of doing things or a new way of thinking is generally, and I always fall into this, you try to make there as compelling as possible. As compelling as possible, which is part of the job, right? People are going to want to go there if they know how beautiful it is. Uh, but, so Bill Hybels points out that actually the first step, though, needs to be describing how bad here is. Before anything else, here is horrible. Paint the picture of why we can't stay there any longer. And then what begins to happen is this compelling picture of where there is begins to open us up. Because if you don't do that, you, you, you get, um, you know, there was, there was meat in Egypt, for those of you who know your Bible. Right, you get this moment where as you're beginning to transition and seeing this new thing, right, we, this happened when we planted our church. Oh my gosh, this is going to be, we planted our, our sanctuary north, this is going to be really hard. There were a lot of folks who were like, I think I'm just going to go back to Hay Street, this is a little bit too much. And, and, and it was that, that reality of, we're not trying to say like back there was horrible, but like, you, ha you can't go back there anymore. We know we've been called here. Right, think of your organization, think of wherever you lead. If even your own mindset, right? This is what uh, begins to happen when we start to look, oh, I'm kind of compelled by this image, but frankly, it's just so much easier to go back. Uh, it's so much easier to go back. If you blow up here, if you blow that up, like that's not even an option anymore. 
That's kind of what I want to do in this series. We as followers of Jesus are invited to lament, to doubt, to be angry with God. This is not some kind of put a smile on. If you're a Christian, you should be happy. Did everyone hear that? Please hear that. Because everything else I'm going to say is going to maybe feel like it's in contrast to that, and it's not. There's whole books of the Bible that are shouting at God. If you came up in a community where you are not allowed to express your doubt, your ache, your pain, your anger, you came up in a bad tradition. It's not a biblical tradition, I'll say that. There are massive parts of the Bible that are all about that. That said, there is an expectant hope in a follower of Jesus going, God, I know of your promises. Why is this happening like that? Please share your mercy. That's like an active relationship, right? That's a good thing. You're like talking with the God of the universe. And so we are invited to do that. And yet, when you, we become followers of Jesus, and I see this in so many folks who, who are followers of Jesus but have not really begun to live under the lordship, activated their faith, whatever language you want to use, is they still live in the land of hopelessness. They don't come before God with ache of like, God, I know you could do that, like full of hope. They, they, they live in a place and in a space where there's just despair. They live in a place where they feel like there's no options. It's so easy, and I don't just mean the big stuff in life. Sometimes it's just the day-to-day thing. Anyone met anyone who's just so cynical? It's like despair on repeat. It's like little mini despairs. Like everything. Oh, yes, that's the way it is. I don't remember the cartoon Daria on MTV. Yeah, man, there's no place for Daria in the kingdom of God. I shouldn't say that. Ever is a place for everybody in the kingdom of God. But as a follower of Jesus, we can't go back to Daria. I'm dating myself really bad. This is back when MTV, like, played music and, you know, was relevant and stuff like that. Old days. Hopelessness or blind optimism should not be the mark of a follower of Jesus. The opposite of hope is resignation, which leads to despair. Warren G. Bennis says this, the opposite of hope is despair. And when we despair, it is because we feel there are no choices. Right? He gets this right. There's no choice. What can we do? There's nowhere to go. Or blind optimism ignores and dodges and hides and numbs the ache of the world around us. Paralyzed by hopelessness, they constantly feel their choices are limited, and then you get swallowed up by regular fatigue and despair. That's here. That's that hopelessness. Christian hope is a prisoner to this idea that there are not just choices, but the God of the universe who has a thousand ways out. Someone who's living as if there are choices everywhere because God can be trusted with their current circumstance. God can be trusted with us. There's a kind of hope in the world that is wishful thinking. And then there's a kind of hope that knows that God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways you can not see. No. I thought everyone would join in and sing with me on that. Any old church folks remember that one? Praise you. It's like this idea that God's got this. I know that sounds so simple and elementary. But honestly, taking hold of this reality has in every way changed my life. Let's get our theodicy straight for a second. Like this is not God causes everything to happen. 
right? We know this to be true. That however it works out in the mysterious world of God, we are told that God will make all things new. That God will turn even the most broken things into something else. This isn't just, well, that's awful things happening to you. God must have a purpose for it. I don't know how that all works out, but that statement in my mind seems to fly in the face of a lot of scripture. But whatever side you find yourself on, on that wonderful discussion of why bad things happen, what we can have our faith and hope in is this. God is making all things new. And though he gives us the choice to choose death or life because we so often choose death because others choose death because our very DNA is groaning because we're told the earth is groaning. If anyone shouldn't be surprised by fires in Napa Valley or like super volcanoes about to erupt, I guess, in Yellowstone or presidents who are presidents. Like, like if anyone shouldn't be surprised by the ache of the world, it's Christians. It's like in our Bible. Like, yeah, the earth is groaning. Things are jacked up, and God's going to do something with this. That awful thing that's happening in your life. The last couple of weeks in my family, I cannot get into any of it right now, but oh, my gosh, it has just been wretched. One of the hardest things I have ever walked through in my life. No exaggeration. And my gosh, I'm not looking at any part of this situation going, oh, yeah, God, thanks for causing this in your divine will. You're going to do, like, no, I recognize all of the wreckage and where it's come from, and yet I, God's got this. I'm actually seeing it, even with all the moments that should cause me to despair, the moments that cause me to want to lash out, the moments that cause me to weep. I can see the reality and trust the reality that God is making all things new. Last week, pastor talked about what? Being heavenly minded. It's like keeping our eyes on the bigger thing that's happening in the world. Hope then is active and open and able to trust with confident expectation that God is up to something or can take the wreckage of our current situation and make something beautiful out of it. So apparently this hope that we have, that God's gonna put it all back together, that God is, that we don't have to fear death. Every Easter we talk about this, right? A bunch of people running around with no fear of death and whose identity are rooted not in what daddy did to them, but that they are loved. And they're trying to lean into that. And even though it's really hard and really painful, they're leaning into it more and more and appropriating it, right? We talk about how people like that are dangerous. People like that are laying down their life for their enemy left and right. People like that are making peace in the world. People like that are just loving with such a radical reality because they know God's grace is way too good to be true. Way too good to be true. If you knew what I did and I've been saved and rescued and loved by the God of the universe, how could I not turn around and extend that, right? This is the beauty of our message. And so there are people who are holding on to these promises. So how then, in Romans 12, 12, it says, rejoice in hope. There's a bunch of other places in the scripture that talks about this. That hope should cause joy. A fruit of hope is joy. The more we lean into this understanding of hope from the scriptures, joy should just pop off. More and more we lean in here, joy should take over. How does this happen? I want to share with you a, a concept that may help us get at this. As followers of Jesus, when we serve, when we're invited to care for the poor, to lay down our life, to sacrifice to love like Jesus. This does not uh, happen for blessing. 
Some of us have got a lot of religion in our hearts. This does not happen. We do not serve to make God happy. We work as followers of Jesus, what, not for blessing, but from blessing. From blessing. This is the story of the scripture. Adam is blessed and then given the creation mandate to go and order creation. Abram, a pagan, called out, blessed by God, and then given an invitation, go and be a blessing to the world. Children of Israel, they were not given 10 commandments and said, if you obey these 10 commandments for the next 10 years, then I'll set you free from Egypt. Anyone who knows the scripture at all or watched Prince of Egypt, right, you know this. What happened? When did the Ten Commandments come? Before God said, I love you, I'm with you, I got you, I'll rescue you. When did it happen? After. That's good news. You should be shouting me down right there. Like, that's so good. This is not the way the world works. I think sometimes as followers of Jesus, we almost take this for granted. Yeah, I've heard this, I've heard this, I've heard this. It's not the way anything works. Anywhere. How does it work? You do this, you do this, you do this, you get dad's approval. You do this, you do this, you do this, you make everybody feel okay. This isn't about there aren't consequences to sin, but this is on a reality of who you are. It gets better in the scriptures. Jesus, before doing anything, you get this ah, moment where dove descends, and you get this word from the father, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Before he's done anything, he's like whittled a couple birds Built a bench. Jesus was a carpenter. That was funny. Stay with me. He's done nothing, of the least that we know of, of any great consequence. This is my son, I'm well pleased. How he comes at the end of your life. And my favorite one is the ascension. Jesus is fading out. However, the ascension happened. I don't know. I like to just imagine it's literally like, right? Is that, I like that. Like, just like he's fading out. Right? Like, because we know, anyway, long story there. Of the ascension. So however he's doing that, this is what it says. As he left them, do you know what he did? He blessed them. The last thing Jesus did to his disciples. He's fading out and he's going, blessing, 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 peace. I love you, I love you. May the peace of God. Some people think it was the priestly blessing. Lord, make his face shine upon you and give you peace. There's like a, an argument to be made that that would have been what Jesus was doing at that moment. Blessing, blessing, blessing as he's fading out. And then what do the disciples go do? Go and make disciples. Go and bless. Be a blessing to the world. Go. The work and the action, right, come from the fact that we are working from blessing. Here's why I share this. Christian hope is kind of like this. Hope is like this but in reverse. Because we know the end of the story. Because we know whose we are now. That we're heirs, adopted, loved, have no fear in death. There's an inheritance stored up for us. All of this scripture. Because we know the end, we're told we can endure all things. We can even find hope in suffering. That's actually why you find more hope and joy in oppressed people groups than you often do in people who are in power. Which I think is just a fascinating thing in a separate sermon. But my gosh, it begins to make sense. You're actually experiencing the weight of all of the miserableness of sin and evil in the world. You're feeling the weight of that. And you've got stories told of like slaves in the south who are gathering together going with joy, singing songs together, like hiding out in some of these fields. 
There's like all this interesting documentation that you can read about this. Liturgy, I've shared this before, I know, but my gosh, it's moving. And some of their prayers are literally this, and this sounds harsh unless you're a slave. It's like, God, thank you that your justice will come. Thank you that that slave owner is going to get it. Thank you. Thank you. I praise you, God. Praise you, God, for your good. And I know whatever evil I'm enduring right now, you can move, turn it into something good. You can turn it into something good, and those people are going to, I know you're just. So wherever the evil is in the world, they're going to get, I mean, that's heavenly minded. That's their eye at the end that comes flooding back into this current moment. And you go, oh, that begins to affect something and bring joy even now in the midst of awfulness. And it compels people to push and to serve. Because here's one criticism that sometimes comes at this point. That it would somehow breed um, like stagnancy. Like, oh, well, God's going to make it all better, so I'm just going to sit back and chill. If you read history, you will find, this is from C.S. Lewis, you will find that the Christians who did the most in this present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. The folks that most had their eye on, I know you're going to make this all better. I'm ready to charge into death with joy because I know you are up to something. Because I know I get to join you in what you are doing. Christian hope is a confident expectation of good things to come. And so Christian hope comes down to trust. Trust and expectancy joined with trust in God in his purposes. That God so loved us. That God's renewing all things beginning with us. That God's putting this back together. That I will live with God forever. So rejoice in hope, Paul says. Rejoice in hope. I have a, some people, you know, marry into money. I'm married into a really good vacation. Right? Whew, anyone married into a good vacation? I did. Man, so good. Cancun. Cancun. Anyone been to Cancun? Been to, been to a resort, all-inclusive resort? I know it's privilege. I married into that great privilege of this vacation. My gosh, it's amazing. Every year we go, the toughest decision I have to make, toughest decision is like, is it too early for nachos? Is it too early? I'm in the pool right now and it's 10 o'clock. Am I allowed to have a little bit of tequila? Is that Okay. So I wait till later. Some of you are like, it's never okay. All right, calm down. You want to know what brings me hope sometimes in just a silly way throughout the year? Not so much now. I love the fall in Rhode Island. But what brings me hope in like mm, February 27th. You know what brings me hope on February 27th? Cancun, baby. That future reality that that's coming down the pike, it's like, this is the worst. How much longer can we handle this winter? <laughs> Little Harper walks up to me, my four-year-old just goes, Daddy, Daddy, Cancun's coming. <gasps> You're right, daughter. Thank you for preaching life over me. Speak life. <laughs> right? This is the idea. This is the idea in Scripture. There's a number of different things where hope comes from, but the big one, the predominant one, and we don't have time to do a whole scripture study on it, is that hope comes from our understanding of what God is going to do at the end and that future reality rushing back into the present and beginning to change things now. There will be loss, there will be death, there will be doubt, there will be ache. We are invited to offer up all of that honesty before God and yet... 
and yet there is a mindset. Lamentations 3, 21, 23. This context of this passage is it's grim and hopeless. The writer is in exile, like in a cave somewhere. <laughs> We're not quite sure of all the background, but we know that this book is commenting on the great wreckage of these people of God who are supposed to be a blessing to the world. And it's all just fallen apart because of just their evil, because of their brokenness, because of choosing death over and over. This writer is looking out over this wreckage. And he says this, he's like, God, what the heck? And he goes, but I call this to mind. But I call this to mind. If you take nothing else from this message about hope, like what's a practical takeaway? Take that. But I call this to mind. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if they're going to go home. I don't know if the divorce is going to, the marriage is going to be rescued. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure. This looks hard. People have made bad choices. This hurts a lot. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm looking out at my people. I'm looking out at my culture. I'm looking out of the, the wreckage of X, Y, and Z. I go on social media way too much. I go to Fox News or CNN just to troll it like I'm out of control. Like I just can't. It's all too much. But this I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. Anyone else excited to hear what the writer's going to say? But I call this to mind, therefore, I have hope. Because I call this to mind, this writer experiencing the worst of the worst. That the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What does he call to mind? He calls to mind unceasing love that gives confident expectation that God's got this. What does he call to mind? Unending mercy. Unending mercy, confident expectation that though they failed, there's a new start. In fact, every morning, there's a new start. Every morning, it's new. What does he call to mind? A great faithfulness. A confident expectation that God will what? Do what he's done before again. The confident expectation that God has got this. You can give God a round of applause at that point. I know we're not a Pentecostal church. I yell because I care. <laughs> I read this and honestly... Maybe this is just so raw for me right now. Like, this is all I got. What's going on right now in the background of my life? Like, this is all I got. And that's a lot. That's a lot. I've got a grace that's too good to be true. In the same way that I am called to serve and love from a place of blessing, I am able to endure all things because I know the end of the story. Because I know the end of the story. Here's an even better one. We'll close with this. Revelation 21.4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the older things, order, old order of things has passed away. This is like what every nonprofit in the entire world is trying to do. Right? Every person, I say this all the time, 
every person. I don't care if you're here and you are so cynical of the Christian faith. You don't know why you're here. And now you got this guy yelling at me. He's saying he loves me, but he's yelling. I don't know why. Like, whatever's going on, like, in your world, or however much you seem to you hate Christians or Jesus or you're so, like, this is what, or your friend, you have a friend who really just hates all of this. This is what they want. I guarantee it. Without a shadow of a doubt, they want this. Every tear wiped away. No more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Tell me that doesn't bring some joy to your heart. Right, a little better than tequila and nachos in the pool. Just a little bit. Not a lot, but a little. Tell me that doesn't lift your spirit. Tell me that doesn't cut through the fatigue. I want to invite the band up. Tell me that doesn't cut through the fatigue. Call it to mind, Lamentation says. Call this to mind. Center yourself on the gospel. Center yourself on the good news that he is Lord and redeeming all things. Come back to the table. Remember the story. Bring your ache to God. Maybe for some of you this morning, you need to minister in prayer. Minister to in prayer. Bring it to mind. Bring the goodness of God to mind. Bring the end to mind. This is not some vague concept that I like pulled up in some theology books this week to share with you because we felt like this would be a good series right now. This is so real to me right now. I call it to mind, Andrew. I bring this to mind and therefore I have hope. I bring this to my God. You're gonna wipe away every tear. I bring this to mind that I can't, even this, this may sound dark, but sometimes in our circumstances, it's just I bring this to mind. I can't control this right now. I want to control this. I want to manage this. I want to find out every little thing that I could do to make this thing better. And I chalk it all up to joining God and the renewal of all things. Like, sometimes I can't do anything about it. I just can't. Anyone have that? I promise you this is not like just Andrew's confessional moment. I think a few other people might be feeling the same way. I can't do anything, right? Like, sometimes we can't do anything. And all we can do is... God, I got to trust that you're doing something. And others may harden their heart. I just trust. I trust. I got to trust that. And for those of you who aren't going through anything heavy right now, man, I, we still can't live here. We can't live with the day-to-day hopelessness. We should be marked as people of joy. In that passage in 1 Peter where it says we have a living hope that last week we preached out of, just always be prepared to give a reason for the hope you have within you. That's predicated on what? What's that predicated? Be prepared to give a reason for the hope. Yeah, it's predicated on love, but it's predicated on people asking you a question. Hey, Ron, like, why do you have this hope within you? It's pre- like, it's predicated on people going, what's going on? Why are you so joyful all the time? You don't seem like one of those annoying people that are just faking it. You literally like live in this perpetual state of joy and I know what's going on in the background of your life. You should not be joyful. Are we people who are done living here in the land of hopelessness? I'm moving here. I can't go back. Here is horrible. Living under the muted life of just despair. It's, it's, it's horrible. And so my prayer today, I told Greg this in the intercession team when they were praying this morning, is that when I say at the end of this service what I say every single week, which is what? Peace be with you. When I say this week, peace be with you, it's gonna mean something a little different. 
it's going to hit us all a little harder. No, 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 really. Like the peace and hope and joy of the Lord our God is, is actually with you. Let that shape all of it. So here's the song we're going to sing. I want to read you some of the lyrics. We're just going to take a moment to sit on it. And then because I want to make sure we don't go late today, I'm going to close us and then invite people to come and take communion if they like. Here's the, here's, the, here's the lyric. Every soul upon this restless sea, hold on. Every heart that yearns for what will be, hold on. Every creature groaning from the curse. This is right biblical language of the reality of death, of our choices playing out. Every creature groaning from the curse, peace. Every corner of this wild earth, peace. And then the refrain is like, Lord, come as a lion or come as a dove. Just let there be life. Just let there be life. I'm tired, let there be life. I'm tired of being a cynical person. Let there be life. I'm tired of knocking everything down. I want to rejoice in hope. I want joy to be the fruit coming off my life because I'm so rooted in hope. Lord, come like a lion, come like a duck, come however you, you come. I mean, maybe some of you need a dove this morning. You need gentleness upon your soul. Some of you need a lion. God says, comes as a lion. You need someone to like start tearing some stuff up. You need to, right? You need God to come strong. However you come, Lord, let there be life in my life. May my mindset begin to change as I come and take the bread and the cup. If you want to stand and sing, stand and sing. If you want to sit, if you want to go and be prayed for, I want to invite the prayer team to come over here. If you want to come and be prayed for, I just want to sit in this moment two minutes before we close. Can we do that together? God, I pray your spirit fall. Would your spirit fall?